Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 88, my favorite number, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s NASCAR number. Oh, Heck Lord. yeah, something new you learned about me today. I am a NASCAR fan. Um, <laughs> we are with the MAPT team with Verinia Granum. Hello, hello. How are you, former assistant dean of pre-health advising and STEM advising at Hofstra University? Hanging out uh, yeah. in New York with us live today yeah. um, to go go help some students on their journey to medical school. How's that sound? Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. That Ooh, sounds great. amazing. Uh, also with Dr. Scott Wright, former ex- uh, retired executive director at TMDSAS and former hello, hello, hello. director of admissions at UT Southwestern. Also former dean of pre-health advising at UT Dallas. Yep. You, you've worn lots of hats in your lots of hats. few this years one, on, among this, them. Yeah. <laughs> on this planet. Yep. Thank you for joining us from the yeah. great state of Texas. Woohoo! <sighs> and Took MAPS co-founder and pre-med and MCAT extraordinaire expert, Rachel Grubbs. How are you, my friend? I'm hanging in. Hanging Glad. in. <laughs> that is the good way to put it. Hanging in. Yeah, right. That is all we are doing today. And of course, I am Dr. Ryan Gray, founder of Medical School Headquarters, co-founder of MAPT. I've written lots of books. I talk a lot in lots of podcasts and uh, in videos. And hopefully you are here because you like listening to me talk uh, and you're, you're back. So <sighs> we have uh, Rachel, the artsy med, joining us who just got into medical school. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> applause, applause. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're here to answer your questions. So go to mapped.tv. That's our YouTube channel and find our live video and we'll answer your questions here. And let me just say to Rachel, the artsy pre-med, uh, Rachel, if you will email me offline, um, We'll set up a time where I can buy you a beer. <laughs> yeah, to congratulate you for your uh, yeah. for your uh, success. A real one, not a virtual yeah. one. Yeah, she's in <laughs> she she she, li- she she's in school where I live, and so okay. that's why. Nice. Yay! Yeah. All right. All right. Let's rock and roll. Zach asks, I've seen people say that about 30 semester credits of 4.0 post-bac work is sufficient for grade repair. Is 20 okay? (laughs) Uh, Is grade repair okay at a community college? So Zach is like, everyone says 30. Can I do 20 uh, if I'm also working? Uh, Scott, what do you think? We, we talk a lot about kind of hours, 25, 30, 40, 45 hours. Uh, yeah. where, where's so, the line? So, you know, the, the, it depends a little bit on the, the past and the past history of the student and kind of where, where things stand, uh, with the, with 
the particular student. So Zach, it's a little bit difficult to, to make a, make a judgment based on not knowing anything about you. So that's why I think it, it may vary. I think that you're never going to go wrong the more you have. So the, the more, the better. I think 30 is, is, and, and one of the things I would also put on there, uh, Zach, that you did not say in your, in your post was that those credit hours, regardless of how many there are, need to be all sciences. No, nothing but sciences, mm-hmm. upper level biological sciences is, is what's really going to be uh, yeah. most notable there. And, and, and I would say 20 is not going to be enough. And I also think that community college is not what you want to do. Hmm. Um, this is, you know, you're, you're trying to repair your, your coursework in, and at your university, you did a certain level. And now if you go as a post back to community college, the contention that can be easily made by the community, by the committee is that uh, community college is easier. They only offer lower level coursework in most cases and so that's not going to repair your that's not going to do anything to give us satisfaction that you can perform well at a high level in the science classroom. Yeah. So, Scott, you, you and I differ on, on this. Right. And, and you have your kind of uh, unacceptable, acceptable, optimal right. kind of uh, right. trajectory of, of situations. Right. And and. Zach may be in a situation because he's working as well that he has to work and community college is the only thing that fits his schedule. And so the question would be community college or nothing. Well, community college is better than nothing. It's not ideal, right? Well, you you know, I, I would make the contention not to be argumentative, but I would make it. We, I would make, we very rarely disagree. Yeah. (laughs) I would make the, I would make the contention that your point about being community college is better than nothing. I, I'm not sure I would agree with that. Okay. Because, because I think that it, it's just so easily disregarded that it may be, it, you know, even if you had 20 credit hours at a community college in lower level coursework at a 4.0, it could be easily disregarded by an admissions committee that this, this does not satisfy us in terms of, of what you can do at a rigorous level, whether it, whether rigor means the institution or whether rigor means the type of class that you're taking. If you're going to, you know, all you're going to be able to get the the highest you're going to be able to get at a community college is A and P maybe micro. Now some community colleges have, you know, agreements with four-year institutions where they are, you know, co-offering stuff. So that will vary by, by school. Now I think if it's a schedule issue, I would prefer to see online coursework. I would prefer to mm-hmm. see you doing uh, doing some online. You know, there there are a variety of sci- upper level science classes through, for example, Cal Berkeley Extension that uh, you can you can get genetics through them. You can get biochem through them, and and probably a variety of others. So I would prefer that you look around if it's a schedule issue. Look around at some of the reputable. Um, online resources that are available and, and see if you can't fill in uh, with that, with that as opposed to community college. Mm. There you go. So. All right. Moving on. Albert asks, good morning. I just got my MCAT score back. 382 GPA, 510. You are California resident with average extracurricular hours. Do I need to retake? 
this is a, am I ready? What are my chances? Right. Verena, what do you think? Um, I think, Albert, you might be focusing on the wrong thing. You say average extracurricular hours. That, to me, kind of stands out the most. Um, a 510, you probably don't need to retake, but the average extracurricular hours is something you want to take a closer look at. I don't know what that means for you. Um, obviously, you want to present, uh, you know, you want to know that you've done your homework and you've researched this field and you know that you want to pursue this as a career um, and you do that by participating in activities. Um, so I think, you know, on the surface, just looking at this, a 510 is not necessarily a score that I would say you'd have to retake. I would say focus more on your extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Jared asks, just got my EMT done with EMS and found out I'd rather stick in the hospital than on a rig. Can I let it lapse? So uh, instead of letting it lapse, go see if you can use your EMT in the hospital. So a lot of EMTs work in the emergency department. So yeah. go, go see if you can use it there. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Question from Alex. Alex, I haven't heard back from a med school I interviewed with back in September. Should I send an update or a letter of interest? The dreaded interest intent update. <laughs> Verena, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it can't hurt. If the school accepts it, great. Um, you know, the, the update letter, obviously update them if you have something to update them about. Um, I think a letter of intent is appropriate, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, if if it, uh, if they accept mm-hmm. uh, one, and and I would just add to that, uh, the letter needs to be short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No, no long, long list of all oh, I did. You know, I saw a letter of intent uh, yesterday from one of my students who the letter the letter was two pages long, single spaced. Wow. Like, no, 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 no. This is not what you want. Yeah. 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 Short, sweet, and to the point. Yep. Yep. Okay. Jacob asks, does where you go to med school correlate with where you will match for residency and practice as an attending? I'm choosing between two schools that I have been accepted into. Well, congrats, Jacob. That's awesome. Congrats, congrats. Um, We we kind of were dealing with this recently with another question or another student asking this question recently. Uh, Rachel, why don't you chime in here uh, about this this answer? Yeah, so um, it does not need to correlate in any way, right? Um, I think sometimes people get fixated on U.S. News World Report data, which is baloney. Um, it, it doesn't really have any meaning other than those people spent a lot of money marketing and gaming the system. Um, we've talked about this before. We've done interviews with residency directors. The things that matter the most for um, residency are going to be your step scores and your evals from your, from your rotations. So, um, you know, if we're barring things like Caribbean and Mexico, right, if you're talking about a U.S. allopathic or osteopathic school then it should not have any impact yeah in in fact i think residency correlates more and it's it's not even a good correlation but it correlates a lot more than where you go to medical school to where to where you might eventually practice Mm -hmm. yeah 
and and I would probably say none of it correlates. You, you end up where you want to go, yeah, and it's a really and, low. And you change you change jobs very quickly anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the average job changing is like just five or six or seven years. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> All right. good problem to have, Jacob. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so this is an interesting question from our friend Rachel. The artsy man. The artsy man. Any advice for post acceptance blues? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's been all this buildup, right? Mm-hmm. All this anxiety, all of this core, the cortisol levels just, yeah. just going yes. through the veins. And then all of a sudden it's, it's done. Yeah. You're and done. Like, what, do, what do I have to worry about now? What do yeah. I, what do I do now? Yeah. Right? And uh, if, it's common. And if you're pre-med, you want to find something to worry about. And you know, it's, this is very interesting, Rachel, mm-hmm. uh, the artsy pre-med, uh, um, this is a very interesting point that you're making. And I found that I had the exact same reaction after I finished my dissertation Mm -hmm. and where I, you know, you, you're totally engrossed in this for so much time. It it encompasses so much of your life, Mm -hmm. your energy, your time, you know, everything. And then boom, it's over. And you're like, what do I do now? And so it does take some time uh, to, to, to get over that. And what I would say, number one is for, for you is to, um, you know, you might want to go, you know, l- let me just pull something out of the air. Mm-hmm. You might want to go have a beer with like the <laughs> most knowledgeable person in the entire world. <laughs> just saying. Stuff. You know, that might help, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, uh, but no, honestly, uh, being, being in, in all sincerity, I would say that, yeah, you, you, you're, you're, you're going to go through a period of time for a couple of weeks, maybe longer, maybe less, uh, where you're just going to be all in a funk and stuff and you're just not going to really know how to be. And it's, it's, it's the issue of really establishing a new normal for yourself. The normal previously had been on task, on task, on task. And now you're having to establish a new normal. Brenda, you probably have some real insight into this with your counseling background. Yeah. When I saw the question, I immediately thought of that. Yeah. You've been gearing up for this for years and now you can finally just kind of go, wow, it's done. I'm done. You're closing that book. You're starting a new one. Um, It's a new identity, right? You were pre-med before, now you're a med student. So just give yourself some time to process, bask in this, have a beer, tea, coffee, whatever it is, just um, enjoy that, that you're, you're done. You're done with that process. And now you're getting ready to start a whole new chapter or a whole new book, really. Yeah. So. Yeah. The only other thing I'd chime in here is it's going to be real, real hard work starting in July or August for you, which you know. So, so take this time to enjoy Mm -hmm. the last sort of chill, Mm -hmm. you know, several month period that you're going to have for a long time. Um, So I know you're feeling a little down, but if you can reframe that to like, I don't have to put any pressure on myself for a while. Mm -hmm. I think that can be positive. The other thing is, and you know, we know Rachel pretty well because she's been a partner with us, you know, so we've, we've worked with her on Instagram and stuff. And Rachel, when you and I were first talking about your handle, it's the artsy med. 
And you told me that you deliberately picked that as opposed to the artsy pre-med because you said, I am thinking ahead and I don't want to identify myself as pre something. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think ahead to med student beyond and have a handle that just identifies me as my my career. So you you sort of foresaw this yourself, right? So you just need to lean into that wisdom that brought you that original name identification because you you know it's coming, right? You you picked it with your name. So mm-hmm. kind of dig deep. It's in there. You you already have that wisdom in yourself. There you go. And kind of along this the same vein, um, we have this question from Big Bad Bear. Big bad bear starting a med school in the fall. What would you recommend doing right away to get ahead for extracurriculars when I get there? So it's, it's probably a surprise to a lot of pre-med students that when you get to medical school, it's basically pre-med 2.0. You're in school, you're doing extracurricular activities, you're finding research opportunities, you're still volunteering, you're still shadowing, uh, yeah, and you're still preparing for a big test in your future called step one, step two. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so it's it's basically all the same stuff, except there's a lot more work being done in terms of classes that you have taken. So Big Bad Bear, I would go and listen to all of my specialty stories podcasts episodes, especially ones where I interview program directors, meaning residency or fellowship program directors. And the overwhelming response from them when they're looking at applications, they're looking at applicants to residency is, do you have a strong letter from the program director at your school, hoping, assuming that the specialty that you want to go into there's a program there uh, at, at your school. If there's not, that's okay. You need to go and try to, try to build those connections. Uh, but also, have you done research in that field? So I often say that research is the most overrated part of an application for pre-meds. It's the opposite for medical students. Uh, it's underrated. It's very important for matching for residency, especially the more competitive residencies. And often students will take a year before they apply to residency, they'll graduate medical school, they'll do a research year so that they can build up their, their resume and then apply for a specialty mm-hmm. um, with that research under their belt. So mm-hmm. that's what I would do is you just start building those connections and, and looking for research opportunities, potentially in a specialty you're interested in. Yeah, we had a student one year at UT Southwestern who we had admitted and he, he, he was asking this same question, what should I do to, to get ahead for, to, to get a leg up in, in, in med school? And this is a little bit different from what Big, Big Bad Bear is asking, but this particular student started reading uh, medical school textbooks and he started depriving himself of sleep. Yeah, and and we were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he was training. <laughs> yeah, he was training himself, and and I was, you know, we we all got a big kick out of it at the med school, but you know, when we, you know, the the message that I think you need to do between acceptance and actually starting med school is exactly what Rachel just said to to, uh, to Rachel the RT pre med, which was have fun, go travel, 
Do fun things. Enjoy yourself. Don't stress out about it. You're going to have plenty of time in med school to do everything you need to do. Uh, you know, don't stress about it. Just enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pre, pre-med school. And, right. and then right. I, I read this as, what do I do once I'm in school? And that's, that's definitely the time to start gearing up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. I have a question here about prereqs. Aileen Nabeen, uh, would social psychology meet the psychology prerequisite? I plan on studying regular clinical psychology on my own, or would it be more ideal to take intro to psychology at my college? I don't know. Those, <laughs> those types of super nuanced course questions, there's, you, you have to go and ask and, and find mm. out. Yeah, I would just add that, you know, um, take a look at the course description, right? Get more information from your school about what the content of the course is. Social psychology focuses on group behaviors, um, you know, the, the psychology within society. Whereas intro to psych, you're actually learning, you know, how the brain works, how the brain function, how the brain affects development, um, which is probably more in line with content that's on the MCAT. But you also have to have that sociology background for this, you know, that aspect. Mm-hmm. So check with your school, check to see, um, you know, check and see what the content of those courses are. Yeah. And the, and the, uh, the, the intro to psychology might be a prerequisite at your school for social psychology. Mm-hmm. It may not be, but you know, those are yeah. uh, other things that you need to check. Check. I, I would, if you can take both can't hurt. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. MCAT question. Nicholas, how far apart should I space MCAT full length exams to ensure that I effectively review each one properly? Nicholas, I have a whole podcast called the MCAT podcast that I do with Blueprint MCAT. You should check it out. We talk all about how to deal with full lengths in some specific episodes. Uh, Outside of that, Rachel Grubbs, MCAT experts. What do you you think here? Yeah. so let me get myself on camera. Yeah, the, the short answer is there's no one answer, right? It's going to depend on how much time you have to take tests, how much time you have to review them, when your test date is, how far you are in prep. Usually, and go check out not just the MCAT podcast, but also Blueprint's free study plan. Usually you start with a diagnostic. You do a lot of content review and passage practice and then about halfway through your prep, you take a full length and then the full lengths start coming in more and more rapid intervals. Um, my kind of maximum would be no more than a test or two a week. Even if you're doing MCAT prep completely full time at the end of your testing preparation period, you're going to take a full length test and then you need to take a day or two to review it. Um, so even if you know, 100% of your non-rest sleep time is spent on, on MCAT, I would still think twice a week is max. And it's much more common to do once a week. Um, you just, you need to spend uh, one to two times as long as you spent taking the test, reviewing it, um, looking at what you got right and wrong, updating your lessons learned journal, doing whatever review comes out of your lessons learned journal, whether that's rereading that notebook or teaching yourself concepts or di- digging back into something or making flashcards. Uh, The tests should be not just a measure of your score, but springboards for more and more nuanced and dialed in prep as you get closer and closer to the test date. All right. 
Jax, is it taboo to talk about job stability pay and opportunities as a reason to choose being a physician as opposed to other jobs in healthcare like PA, nurse, et cetera? So I'll, I'll chime in here uh, because I, I don't think job stability is guaranteed as a physician. I, I know groups of physicians being fired and being replaced with PAs and NPs. Uh, so, no, <laughs> it, I, I wouldn't say it's taboo. I think it's naive to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would, I would stay away. And, and yeah. there are plenty of PAs making lots of money out in yeah. the world, more than some primary care docs. So. Mm-hmm. 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 Definitely. Yep. yep. All right. Jessica, does it look bad to go back and forth between being a part-time and full-time student, trying to balance work, family, clinical volunteering, eventually studying for the MCAT, et cetera? So, Scott, we often talk about uh, rigor not only in the types of classes you are taking, but also the amount of classes you are mm-hmm. taking. Mm-hmm. How does that How does that play into the admissions world? Well, you know, I think that admissions committees really do try to look at the at what's going on deeper into the application. You know, and so I think if your contention is that you are trying to balance out life and work and, and, and all of this stuff, then, uh, then that's going to make sense. And, 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 and to admissions committees, it'll make sense. Uh, I don't think it looks bad to go back and forth between part-time and full-time studying. As long as you do have some semesters where you're doing full-time work and that the, 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 uh, uh, scores that you're making in those classes is, 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 generally equivalent to what you're doing when you have part-time work uh, or uh, part-time schooling. And uh, so I, I think they're, they're, they're going to want to see a consistency of, of that, but I would not say it's going to necessarily look bad, uh, particularly if in the course of your application, secondary application stuff, and certainly in an interview, if this kind of, you know, issue came up that you could explain, you know, here was my situation and I was, you know, balancing all this stuff out. Yep. All right. Next question. Kirsten asks, I'm a single mother and I know this isn't an excuse to get bad grades, but I've gotten a couple C's. Do med school admissions committees take being a parent into consideration? So this often comes up with uh, having poor grades for one reason or another and uh, will medical schools understand, right? Mm-hmm. Will they understand? Mm-hmm. And sure, they'll understand, and it probably still won't be mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. because their goal is to make sure that you're academically capable. And sure, maybe it's because uh, you're a single mother, or maybe it's because you just got C's, right? <laughs> uh, and so, yes it may come into account when you retake some courses or do a post back to get that upward trend. And then you can answer the question, well, why did you struggle earlier on? Well, I was a single mother and blah, blah, blah. And they go, okay, great. Thanks for that context. And thank you for proving you're academically capable of doing well in our medical school. We have no concerns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So sometimes not fair to those single moms and single dads and uh, other people out there who are working their butts off. But Mm. at the end of the day, and I talk about this a lot, Scott, and I I don't think students really understand medical schools will get in trouble 
if they are accepting students like, oh, I understand you're a single mom. I understand mm-hmm. you had to work. Mm-hmm. I understand whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll give you a pass. Come. And then the student fails out of medical school. The, the medical school will get in trouble yeah, and potentially yeah. lose their accreditation if they're, yeah. if they're yeah. accepting too many students who don't finish school. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And, you know, I would say, too, and, you know, uh, Kirsten, this is not to, to, um, to I don't know the right word I'm trying to trying to think of. But, you know, what, what I don't want to do is 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 talk, neg- you know, too negatively about your situation as a single mother. But my my the point I want to make here is that very many students have something, some issue. Uh, maybe they're a varsity athlete. Maybe they are working full time. Maybe they are uh, caring for an elderly parent who is, you know, disabled or whatever. You know, everybody has something that they could point at to say, this is why I didn't do well in school because of this thing. And so if they went down, if the medical schools went down that road uh, for one particular group of people, they would have to do it for mm-hmm everybody that has some sort of issue and almost everybody as an applicant can say, I've got an issue. Here's Mm -hmm. my issue. I'm not a single mother, but I'm this or whatever. So that's why on the, on the med school side of things, they have to be really careful about that. In addition to what Ryan said about, they have to protect their, you know, and, and it's not just protecting the medical school and their accreditation It's protecting you because the last thing that you want to have happen is take out loans for one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars, and then not finish medical school, and then you end up defaulting on the loans, and that's a disaster. So, exactly. you know, this, yeah. this is all to protect you. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's move along here. Miguel asks: Will a degree in computer science or data science help me be a better doctor or medical student? Yeah. Potentially. <laughs> If you like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was, that was my reaction to this too. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Verinia? Yeah, that was my reaction to this too. Um, I had so many students. I've met with students in the past who all want to know what's what's the right pre-med major. There is no right pre-med major. Um, what will make you a good doctor is your, you know, passion for this field, your, you know, empathy, your ability to, you know, want to help and serve others. Um, will this help? you know, get through medical school, potentially, as Dr. Gray just said, Um, but major in something that you enjoy. You're going to do better in classes that you're enjoying. Um, Try not to, don't approach this as though I need to have this particular major to get into medical school and become a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fan, just, just Mm -hmm. anecdotally. I'm a huge fan. uh, Just, just because I'm a self-taught computer programmer. I didn't do any kind of uh, computer science or, or, or computer kind of engineering in medical school or, or in undergrad, but I'm a self-taught programmer. I've written code. I've, I've sold software uh, that I've written. Um, my brain thinks like a programmer. And so, uh, and I think it's a very useful way for a brain to work. I mean, I'm a little biased, but uh, so little. potentially it could help because computer programming is a lot of if, if this, mm-hmm. then this, and, and just going down algorithms and trying to connect all the dots. And, and so, sure, it could be very helpful, but don't do it if you don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay. 
Miriam asks, can or should I apply with no research experience? I have a good GPA, good ECs, and lots of patient care experience. The only thing metaphorically holding me back, literally, is my lack of research. I am also in my first gap year. So literally uh, about 10 minutes ago what do we say one of the most overrated parts of a, a mm-hmm. application for pre-meds mm-hmm. is lack of research scott why do i say that and students will fight me on it because the double amc the data they put out says 92 percent of students have research experience so obviously it must be the most important thing well, ninety, 100% of them breathe. Uh, <laughs> so breathing is of, important. Okay. <laughs> 100% of them are, you know, I mean, you know, we could list out a variety of things. And I do think that the AAMC um, information is, is, is not, I, I wouldn't put any credibility in that because I don't think, you know, it's all student, it's student reported. And so if stu- some student, said, I have research because I did a project in my biochemistry class. That's not research. That's not yeah. what they're talking about when they're talking about research. So I think, I, I, I think it's suspect. And I think the answer to this question overwhelmingly, and I think we would all agree, is, is that, yeah, it's overrated. If you don't have any research experience, you're fine. Don't, don't, don't stress about that. I, I, I do think that there's also a lot of uh, pre-med advisors out there who really say, you know, really push this myth that, um, you know, you have to do research to get into medical school. And uh, I just don't think it's accurate. Yeah. I think, I think parents also kind yeah, of parents, reinforce yes. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. Oh, parents. <laughs> oh, parents. Yes. Right. Yes. Moral of the story. Stop it, parents. Uh, Tristan asks, uh, might be a dumb question, but how do I start getting into shadowing? Do I go to my local hospital and ask to speak to a physician or do I email a physician asking to be a shadow? <sighs> Rachel, what do you think? Um, yeah. Shadowing is unfairly hard to get. Um if you have no contacts whatsoever, then yeah, you're going to do a whole bunch of cold calling, cold emailing, um, short, sweet, probably emails um, rather than phone calls or showing up. Um, what you could also consider is you need a lot of direct patient care experience. That's an important part of the pre-med experience. So if you can get yourself some direct patient care, volunteering or paid work, that opportunity may lead to getting to be around some physicians who then you can say, Hey, I'm volunteering Saturday, you know, from 6am to noon, but could I hang around Saturday afternoon and watch you and do some shadowing with you? So you can kind of think of that in either direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, unfortunately shadowing is everybody needs it. And especially right now with COVID times, it can be a little hard to get. So the other thing I'll mention is e-shadowing. You can always do virtual shadowing. I don't think it replaces in real life shadowing. We don't profess that it does, but it gives you a lot of exposure to doctors and specialties. So, um, And we've talked to deans and directors of admissions about e-shadowing who have said in person is best, but virtual is better than nothing. And it shows you're trying. So I think a lot of students applying now have a mix of in-person and virtual shadowing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And even look into, you know, start with your own physician. If you have, you know, a family doctor or, you know, that's usually the first, um, the first step and check with your school too. They might have programs. I don't know if you're currently in school, I should say, but if you are, um, they may have some programs set up for students there too. Yeah. Yeah. E-shadowing is live Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, but you have the rest of the week to watch the recording and take the quiz if you want credit for it. And even if you don't get credit for it, you can still put it on your application. Some mm-hmm. some students just want credit for it. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Abood asks, apply early with low MCAT score and planning to retake early August or apply only after I get the new score back. Will school screen out applicants if they see a low MCAT score uh, on an application with a plan to retake? Need advice. Mm-hmm. Rachel Grubbs, MCAT expertise needed here. Yeah, so this comes up a lot. Um, And it's an MCAT question, but it's also just a managing your application question. Mm -hmm. So when you submit your AMCAS, there's a box that you can check that says I'm planning to retake the MCAT and give the date. And if you do that, it's pretty well understood that most med schools aren't going to review your application. So there still could be some value in applying early because you're getting your application verified, which does take a long time and tends to take longer the later you submit. So if you can get that application submitted in May or June, then, you know, at least when you're taking the MCAT in August and getting scores back in September, everything's been verified. But it makes me nervous that it's February 16th today as we're live streaming this, and you're already looking at retaking um, in August, which is six months from now. Retaking early August means score back in early September. That is very late in the cycle. Um, I, I think even though I just said all the things I said, the people who do that tend to be doing that more often with, um, with July te- test dates or even June test dates. So I guess what I wonder is, um, it sounds like maybe you already have the early score. Maybe you just got your January score back. Why are you not retaking sooner? And, and maybe you have a good reason, right? Maybe it's because you tried to do MCAT with school and now you're realizing you need to space out your prep, but, um, for someone who knows they're not going to actually have their application fully reviewed until early September, unless everything else in your application is amazing. It, it, it just makes me wonder if you should either be changing your test date or looking at next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. Andrew asks, I graduate May 14th and spring grades are posted May 16th. When should I send my transcripts? Spring grades will not change my GPA much and I have all of the prereqs. So there's there's a little nuance here between application services, right, Scott? Because TMSAS yes. requires those spring grades, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and they don't, but Team DSAS, my understanding at this point, they changed it right after I left, but uh, that they don't want transcripts until they ask for them. Okay. And so for Team DSAS, if you're applying in Texas, you don't send transcripts until they contact you and say, we want your transcripts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's newer. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was like they pretty much want those spring grades, so wait to send them. Is, Rachel, you were shaking your head. Is that yeah? That's what it, you that's what it used to be. So I guess I like yeah. you had missed the update. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but yeah, they used to say you have to wait till spring. Um, Cause the, I think the challenge was that was tr- typically true for semester people, but not necessarily quarter people with June. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I would say as a general rule of thumb, um, either, you know, you're not gonna be able to transmit your actual application for AMCAS until May 28th or so anyway. Um, I would wait until you get mm-hmm. those spring grades just so you mm-hmm. have everything. Yeah. Um, it just seems like the smarter thing to do. And it, you know, it's not so much when you send your transcripts as when you request them. Yeah. So, you know, they get posted on May 16th. I would request them then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm having issues with my mic. All right. There we go. Sorry. I lost my mic for a second. <laughs> okay. There you go. Mary asks, is short-term clinical work experience, three months or less, a red flag to medical schools? Yeah. So when, when was those, when were those three months? Right. Is that, is that, uh, April, May, June of the year that you're applying? Was that three months, three years ago? Mm -hmm. Um, is it three months right at the beginning of the application submission time? Because that's as soon as you could get it and you're planning on doing it, uh, kind of throughout the application cycle. Mm -hmm. There's lots of nuance there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but Vernia talk about, uh, a potential, let's assume it was three months a year ago. What does that look like? Uh, it's a, I'm having issues today with this mic. Can you hear me? Yeah. It can be, it can be because what they're looking for is consistency, right? Did you consistently try out and, and, you know, get out into the field and, and learn and, you know, serve others and help others and, and get your hands on a patient uh, within reason um consistently it wasn't just like oh i just did it i'm done checked off that box so it when you did it is definitely um sort of more of the red flag like dr gray was saying if it was over a year ago um so i would say just keep trying to get more and more experience mm-hmm. yeah okay all right question from Tanvir. I went to Temple for my post back, hanging out with our friend Caleb. Yeah. Our grades emphasized more on the undergraduate portion or a post back program. Like I did mediocre in college, but I did much better in the post back. So I think right now may be a good time to show mapped and what that looks like. Um, although I don't think our demo account has a good um uh, Rachel, I don't know. Are you, are you pulling that up? Yeah, I am pulling it up. Yeah, it, you know, because it's a communal account, I think yeah. some of the postback stuff's been deleted, so we need yeah. to tweak that account to show better. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find a, a example among one of us, so we're not outing a student. <laughs> so, so in Mapped, uh, the reason I want to show Mapped is because Mapped will show what that upward trend looks like. And if it's a true postback that is undergraduate level courses, it's going to count towards your undergraduate GPA, hopefully improve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that final number may not be what, what I say is super sexy, right? It may not be a super sexy number there, but the trend is what we're looking for. So if the postback is 20 or 30 or 40 credits, at close to a 4.0, mm-hmm. that will weigh into the factors to the decision um, mm-hmm. heavily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The medical schools see every single data point. They're able to yeah. sort and filter yeah. and, and yeah. graph and do whatever they want with all those data points. Mm-hmm. Oh, Are we pulling up map or? Sure. Oh. Yeah. I don't have a perfect example, but we'll do. 
um, this one here. All right. All right, so uh, that's our, our demo account. Rachel, you want to talk through it? Yeah, because someone want to hide that comment for me. Um, oh, I just can't do this, though. We don't need to talk about each other. Right, so this <laughs> isn't a perfect example because this particular demo account right now is just has pre-med stuff. But if you guys look at this GPA graph, I'm going to try to zoom just a little. There we go. <laughs> um, okay, so blue is cumulative, orange is science, this sort of grayish one is non-science, and the bright green is semester. So if I get rid of everything but the two cumes, you can see here's a student with a 3.32 GPA, and there was a little dip there, and then it went up. You know, once you've got a bachelor's degree and you're in post-bag zone, your cum is just not going to move that much. That's just the reality of how the math works. <laughs> but if I add back this semester line, now we're seeing a different story. So whether this mm -hmm. is undergraduate or post-bag, because both undergraduate and post-bag go into your so-called cumulative GPA for MCAS, now I'm seeing here's a student who started with a 3.0, kind of curved up to 3-4-ish, had a couple rough semesters there where they were below the 3.0 line, but then the last several terms of their coursework were solidly above 3.5, mm -hmm. right? So, so to the person who's asking this question, does the post-bac count more or less? It's not really more or less. Um, med schools do look at GPA for grad separately. That's a separate number. But your post-baccalaureate and your undergrad are typically combined into one cumulative number. Like Ryan was saying, it can be sliced and diced in a million ways. But they will sometimes, for lower GPAs, look at recent trends. Um, so this 3.32, to me, is a better, better example of a 3.32 than someone who was lots of A's freshman year and then dipped down in the later years when they were in upper-level sciences. Right? Like I don't know exactly what happened with this student, but I think that they had a blip in their life and they probably recovered. Um, so, you know, th that's kind of what you have to hope is that the med schools are being, I'm going to zoom back out a little bit here to show you this detailed graph to, sh to look at the nuance of not just what happened across the entire cube, but what happened year by year. And again, this yeah. example doesn't have post back, but you can see they mm -hmm. had lower freshman and sophomore and then did much better junior and senior year. So this is the kind of data that you should be thinking about as a student. And then, you know, the GPA as calculator is free and mapped. So anybody can put this data in the map, enter all of their academic history and get all of these lovely charts and graphs, um, which if you've ever looked at an AMCAS PDF, this table is taken right from them. This is exactly mm -hmm. how they look at grades. Yeah. Now, med schools can look at grades lots of ways, but this is one sort of basic way that pretty much everyone looks at them is not just the cumulative, but the data by class standing. Yep. 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 All right. Go sign up for a free mapped accounts. You get uh, a trial for 30 days of all of the whiz-bang mapped features, including uh, mapped advising chats, where you can chat with one of us through mapped. 
after you enter in all of your information so that we can actually help you. Uh, if you want to continue to use maps to track your GPA and in the future, uh, we're adding some more stuff actually to the free tier uh, soon. But right now you can continue to track your GPA at courses through your undergraduate, graduate, whatever studies so that you understand and can make educated decisions on when you're ready to apply or if you need more coursework, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you get to chat with us. Yeah. Woo-hoo. We do have a small percentage of persistent people who just create a free account and try to just chat. Um, you know, sometimes we can help you, but the idea is enter your coursework and activities so we can actually yes. see it. Yeah. Spend half an hour investing in the application so that we can better serve you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ruba asks, how many times can you take the MCAT before the admission committees start questioning your application? Eight. Eight times, and they're going to question, how the heck did you take it eight times? Right. Because you can only take it seven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Ruba, we talk about this a bunch. Uh, You you go, go from a 485 to a 487 to a 491 to a 495 and finally get a 515 like that 515 is going to stand out and, you, and you'll likely be okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah the the flip side of this rupa is if you're thinking about this the way you thought about sat and act don't right yeah. there's not score choice i mean i personally have never liked people who take the sat for practice either i mean i've been at in test prep for 20 years for all the exams um MCAT ideally is one and done. Like Ryan said, we've seen people do two, three, four plus times and still get in. So it's not the end of the world, but you should take the MCAT when your practice tests that you've taken under timed conditions are consistently in your goal range. So not one time I got my 512, but I'm looking at the last four or five tests I took about once a week for the last month, and they're all around my goal range. And I've been taking them in one sitting at a library or a Starbucks. So I've got my shoes on. I've got my headphones on. It feels like a real test. I'm doing exact timing, exact breaks. I'm simulating the real exam as much as possible. And these are the scores I'm getting. Then you know you're ready. And if you haven't been doing those things, then it's not time to take it. Don't go put an official on your record. Like, you know what the test center is like. It's not that different. It's, it's a bunch of people taking the MCAT and then a bunch of people taking the Praxis typing on keyboards. So just ignore them because they're not taking the same test as you. Right? Like, there's nothing magical that happens in that room. Yeah. Okay. All right. Georgie asks, can I list my paramedic class as an experience itself? The class was unique because of the exposure it gave me to various clinical hospital rotations and intriguing, uh, integrating in team-based learning and so on. So this comes up a bunch. Uh, and and my general response, and I'm interested to hear yours, Scott, is, is the class itself is like whatever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You became a paramedic. It's what did you do with that license that certificate that training Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what matters now is there something potentially maybe that's special that you want to put on there sure but a lot of students want to put like the trainings as separate experiences and to me that's a waste of space that could go towards a hobby or something else that you're cutting out what do you think yeah i agree with that and 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 i i wonder georgie when you say the class was unique number one what do you mean by unique do you mean unique among pre, among uh, 
you know, paramedic classes. And if you mean that, how do you know that? You know, if there's a class, if you're in California and there's a class in New York, New York, have you researched all paramedic classes around the country and you know that yours is completely unique? Um, I, I just don't think that, you know, I think they're all basically about the same. They all give you various clinical hospital rotations. They all give you, you know, uh, exactly what you're talking about. And so, so I don't think it's I don't think it's going to come across to the admissions committee as unique, and so I agree with Ryan that I don't think it it probably you know, would want to waste too many of your uh, fifteen slots for that. Yeah, yeah, and this does come up a lot, and I always wonder: does it seem unique? Like, is that Georgie's perception because it's the first time he got right. hands on learning and doesn't right. realize that that's actually the norm in med? Ed. <laughs> um, right. But. Yeah. But yeah, it, like you're a student. Pre-meds usually are students who like being students and you thought that was a cool class. That's great. But being a student is not future physician activity. Right. Um, right. And not that every activity has to be related to pre-med, but putting down something that says I took a cool class, like that's just not very powerful. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Question about personal statements. Personal statements, my favorite. Yeah. Look on it. Mary, is there such thing as a, quote, chronological personal statement, starting from seed for medicine and branching off to the experiences that confirmed my interests? Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's one a, way of writing it. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly yeah. it. <laughs> Doesn't have to go in order, but uh, that's one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> is my pronunciation okay there? Uh, it's getting clinical experience during MCAT prep too late. Would a nursing home count as medical clinical experience? Welcome to Is It Clinical? <laughs> so, and then my too late. <laughs> Vernia, let's let's start with the clinical one. Nursing home, is it clinical? Depends on what you're doing. What are you doing? Right? Yeah. What are you, are you doing? doing? Are you working with the patients, the, the um, residents? Are you just at the front desk? Uh, it, it depends on what you're doing. That is what it's all about. Yep. Um, so could be, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, clinical experience during MCAT prep. Are, are you prepping for the MCAT three years before you're applying to medical school, then no, probably not too late. Are you prepping for the MCAT after you apply to medical school? Then yeah, it might be too late. Um, obviously, we're in COVID times, so lots of things have shifted and time timetables have changed. Get clinical experience as soon as you can, as consistently as you can. That's yep. the answer. Yep. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Here we go. Niat asks, uh, is citizenship or proof of permanent residency, a.k.a. green card, a requirement for medical school? No, there are lots of medical schools that accept international students. So uh, you just got to do some research and find out. Mm-hmm. Now, it may affect whether or not you're considered a resident of the state. If it's a state medical school, that's going to have an impact. So, you know, there, there are a variety of thing, issues here related to um, citizenship or, or green card status. So, you know, this is where you have to you really have to um, investigate each of the schools that you're interested in applying to to see what are their requirements. Do they accept international students? Some schools do not. 
And yeah. so, you know, you have to uh, just kind of really dive down deep into the schools you're interested in. Yeah. All right. I think we have time for one more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Nicholas asks, why does the ACOMIS application uh, open and also allow you to submit on May 1st? Should I just wait for June to send the, that application or is that too late for that program? Uh, why do they do that? Because they want to. <laughs> um, uh, should you just wait to June? You can. Don't rush an application. Right. We, we often talk about the DO application timeline being a little bit shifted behind the other application services. So there's less of a rush and their verification timing is significantly faster than uh, AMCAS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, yeah. But don't rush. I, I talked to uh, our friend Enrique, who's at TMDSAS. And Scott, you, you used to run uh, TMDSAS. And I, I've heard horror stories of students opening their TMDSAS application and submitting it by mistake yep. uh, without a personal statement and other stuff, yep. Or, yep. or like a placeholder, like put personal statement here. Yep. Um, and apparently you guys are like, too bad so sad sorry yeah. like we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna yeah. do anything yeah yeah i've seen it i've seen it a lot of times before where the the placeholder was uh go, come back and do this later or, <laughs> oh, or whatever no. yeah and they and they they hit submit oh, and man. sometimes it's not accidental sometimes they mean to hit submit and they just forgot that uh, they mm-hmm. had not included that and once it's done it's done and i i i would be Really surprised if AMCAS and ACOMAS are not the same way, where yeah. once you submit, there are certain things that you can make alterations to, but there's a lot of it that, yes, proof there of it your is. application. Absolutely. There it is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Better Every send it a day it. or two later. Yeah. Don't send it at 4 a.m. when you just finished entering everything. Go nap. <laughs> come back to it. Yeah. Take another look at it. Yeah. I, I uh, want to throw uh, I want to throw this one up uh, just real sorry. quick yeah. um, from Devante. It, I, I'm always late. No, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah. Uh, is there any help for an aspiring physician scientist? Uh, go find SSG. Uh, let me post it here. Uh, SSG dot two dot uh, on Instagram. Uh, that's our friend, Adrian. She's amazing. We love her. She is a physician scientist. She's in her PhD years. Um, so go follow her and she'll help you out mm-hmm. as much as possible. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. She's a superstar. Awesome. Yep. All yep. right. Cool. That is Dean episode 88. Again, my favorite number because of Dale Earnhardt Jr. NASCAR. NASCAR rules. It's, hey, NASCAR. It's NASCAR season. If you guys didn't know, it's NASCAR season. Um, I appreciate all of you coming and hanging out with us today uh, and every week, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, or catch my kind of solo IG Live Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern, where I, I sit in my little beanbag chair over in the corner um, and answer your questions. So, so Ryan, <laughs> let me just ask you before we log off. Yeah. So, you, in other words, you like to sit in the stands, sweat your guts out, and watch <laughs> things go round and round. Zoom, 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 zoom. And it's like 800 degrees. 
Yes. <laughs> Those cars go very fast. They do. Yeah. Dr. Wright, I'm surprised at you. Don't yuck his yum. <laughs> Especially being from Texas. By the way, I, I literally yucked Ryan's yum because based on the food he was eating right before. So also, shame on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I got thick skin. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.